Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Into the Burrow podcast. My name is Jared, and we got a great show for you today. But first, I wanted to start off telling you a little bit about Buzzsprout. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. And Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories. For instance, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your first recording. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. We use Buzzsprout and can attest that it's a cakewalk compared to some of the other hosting platforms that we've used. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. So what are you waiting for? Grab some gear that you already have, then find a quiet space to record and talk about all your favorite things. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and help support our show. We can't wait to hear your passion. Personally, like Buzzsprout, for me... um, We've tried a couple of different hosting platforms, both for the site and for the podcast, and honestly, it's smooth, it's painless, um, and I can't recommend them highly enough. So, like I said, um, there is a link in the in the show notes that basically will take you to Buzzsprout, and if you purchase a paid plan, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card. Um, and like I, like I said before, using that link, uh, lets them know that we sent you here. So it's super important if you do that. Um, but if you're looking for podcasting, uh, platforms and, you know, you want to get out there, you want to share some of your favorite interests, your passion, you want to talk about film yourself. Um, I highly recommend doing it just because it's so fun. Even the podcasts that I do here by myself, um, I have a great time doing them. And honestly, um, it's just very cathartic to talk about some of these things, uh, especially like when they you know, take up a significant portion of your day-to-day life. Like I, you know, am reading, I'm talking, and I'm constantly watching um, films, television shows. Um, I'm, you know, digesting podcasts myself even uh, on the daily. So it's a really nice way to just get out there and kind of um, start. Uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. And honestly, when I first started out, uh, we were doing YouTube videos and writing reviews on the site. I still write reviews on the site, uh, but the YouTube videos were a little challenging to tackle at first, and I feel like podcasting gives you such a wide scope um, of, a possible, of possible things that you could do, of possibilities. And so I highly recommend starting out with a podcast and then moving up from there. Uh, I kind of wish I had done it that way, but, um, you know, that time's passed. Uh, anyway, um, there's a few more things on the docket for today's show. I wanted to announce that, um, uh, and by the way, before I get into any of this, I'm sorry, my allergies are kind of kicking my ass today, uh, so I apologize for that. It's going to be a little scratchy. You're going to hear me kind of sniffling a little bit. I do not have corona. I do not have corona. 
Uh, so there's that. Um, but I wanted to tell you that we're going to move to a weekly format. So this is going to become the new norm for the Into the Borough podcast. Uh, I just kind of want to make sure I'm covering all the film news for you. That way you're not missing anything. And by the way, we're not covering every single news piece that ever like drops or, um, that ever, you know, uh, basically, um, gets reported on. Like we're not going to do all of that because that would be too much, but we're going to pick four or five, maybe even three. So between three and five news stories every week that we feel um, are important or that align with our interest as a show. So we're going to do that and uh, we're going to be coming at you weekly Sundays at 10 a.m. So we're going to do that. And then, by the way, uh, I am figuring out how to effectively work in the video reviews again and do like videos and start uploading on the channel. I know I had a big long speech there about how I'd rather podcast than do videos. That's not entirely true. It's just easier when you're starting out, but we are going to get back to them. And we have a special, special guest for next week. Uh, so I can't wait um, to actually talk with someone on a podcast. It's been a while since I've done that um, on my own show. So um, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure fans of, you know, The Burrow uh, are going to appreciate that episode very much, and hopefully it's going to turn into a more regular thing moving forward in the future. I've been kind of working on that for a while now, so I finally get the opportunity to bring them on, and I personally cannot wait. Also, something that I want to talk about um is uh, our Patreon account. So our Patreon account, uh, you're going to hear an ad for it uh, very shortly. But before we get into that ad, I do want to tell you that we are going to work on a new uh, podcast, a monthly podcast on our Patreon account for our $5 tier. That would be our hereditary um, hereditary tier. Basically, uh, the show's just going to cover whatever we want. It could be movie-related. It could not be movie-related. Um, we could, you know, take topics from you uh, if you're a patron and you want to send something in uh, and you want to hear us talk about a certain a certain topic, a certain interest that you have. Just send it on in, and we might not be experts on the issue, but uh, we will talk about it. Uh, we will talk about all subjects. So uh, that's kind of a neat little thing that we're doing. The podcast is going to be called Into the Burrow. And then there's a colon, so it's Into the Borough colon, Den of Night. Uh, and it's going to be kind of a stripped back, it's going to be a stripped back podcast too. Uh, I kind of want to put that out there just so you can gauge your expectations. Um, there's not nearly going to be as much editing. There's going to be no ads, so I will take out and remove all of the ads from that show. And we're just going to sit back. It's going to be unfiltered. We're going to talk about anything and everything. And I hope you get a chance to check it out. Um, I'm hoping to drop that later this month um, or definitely by next month. um, We'll have, you know, the first episode of Den of Night posted. So I can't wait to to let you listen to that and kind of what we got in store. We've already got a few topic ideas kind of planned out. Um, and then, like I said, hopefully we'll get back into video reviews sometime in the near future. So, uh, lots of exciting things going on here at, uh, the borough. Um, also coming down the pike, we have got a couple of articles being published in, uh, Morbidly Beautiful. So it's a fantastic site based out of Austin, Texas, and I recommend you check out all of their content. They have so much of it. It's such a wide breadth of things that they have on the site there, uh, but they focus primarily on horror-related news, reviews, things like that. 
Um, and I have an article, an indefensive article coming out this weekend, uh, if it's not already out. Um, and I'm really excited to share that with the world. And also I'll have a review coming in the near future on their site as well. So a couple of interesting things that I wanted to tell you about, um, because I'm really excited. I've done a lot of work this year in terms of reaching out and networking and working on different things with different creators and different sites. Um, and it's been a whole lot of fun. I've had a whole lot of fun doing it. So look out for those at morbidlybeautiful.com. Uh, I'll also be posting it on all of our social media. So be sure uh, to look out for that when it's coming. Um, without further ado, why don't we move into the next segment of the podcast? And also I need to blow my nose. So catch you on the flip side. If you'd like to support the Borough Reviews or the Into the Borough podcast, please consider signing up for a monthly subscription or even making a one-time donation through our Patreon campaign. Our Patreon offers three distinct tiers. Candyman, a $1 a month subscription to simply offer your support. It follows a $2 a month subscription to get early access to videos. And finally, Hereditary, which is a $5 a month subscription for exclusive videos and all of the other tier perks. During these times, it is crucial for us to remain sustainable, and with your help, we can get there. Head over to patreon.com slash Reviews, your movie refuge. The latest news from last week. Julia Alexander of The Verge writes, Mulan regarded as one of Disney's biggest films of the year, will premiere exclusively on Disney Plus in the United States and other countries where Disney Plus is available. The film will cost an additional $30 on top of the subscription fee, which people will own as long as they are a Disney Plus subscriber. Disney has essentially created a video-on-demand portal within its own streaming service, which will give Disney 100% of the sales revenue, 100% control over how people watch the movie, and 100% of user data. Quote, we are very pleased to be able to bring Mulan to our customer base that has been waiting for it a long time. As we've had to unfortunately move our theatrical date several times, Disney CEO Bob Chapek said on an earnings call. Moving Mulan, a film that, in pre-COVID times, may have generated north of $1 billion at the box office, to Disney Plus is a radical shift in the entertainment industry. While Shapik told analysts on the call that Disney is looking at Mulan as a one-off, a Disney source told The Verge that, quote, we put in enough work behind the scenes that this is definitely not a one-off. Even with new distribution path, Mulan isn't likely to make what it would have in pre-coronavirus times, but it's new option that Disney executives are excited about. As Chapik spoke about the new launch model for Mulan, he stressed that Disney's team is interested to, quote, see what happens, end quote, both in terms of sur- subscriber growth and how many people purchase the film. Ted Johnson, in Deadline, writes, A federal judge has given the green light to the Justice Department to terminate the 71-year-old consent decrees that have restricted major studio control over the exhibition process. The lifting of the decrees will clear the way for studios to once again take significant ownership of theater chains, now in dire straits because of the pandemic, but more importantly for the industry. The elimination of the decrees means that the studios and exhibitors will be allowed to engage in a host of business practices that have been prohibited since the late 1940s. 
Under the plan to terminate the decrees, restrictions on block booking and circuit dealing will remain in place over a two-year sunset period. Block booking is the practice in which theaters have to take a package of movies all in one license. Circuit dealing is the practice of demanding a single license that covers all theaters in a circuit. The judge agreed with the Justice Department's opinion that the decrees, which had a major role in forcing the end of the studio system in Hollywood's golden age, were outdated at a time of technological change. The National Association of Theater Owners, NATO, warned of ending the decrees and the impact it would have on consolidation of the exhibition business, while independent theaters argued that nothing in existing antitrust laws comes close to the elegance and power of the theater-by-theater on merits mandate that forms the heart of the Paramount Consent Decrees, tens of thousands of Americans have enjoyed big screen entertainment solely because of the mandate. Hollywood bosses have been censoring films to placate the film market in China, a new report suggested. The report, compiled by the free speech charity PEN America, claimed China was therefore influencing movies released in cinemas around the world. China holds the world's second-largest box office market behind the U.S., and according to The Hollywood Reporter, American films earned $2.6 billion in China last year, with Disney's Avengers finale Endgame making $614 million alone. PEN is a nonprofit organization that campaigns on free speech, and it sponsors the Pinter Prize for Literature. The 94-page document titled Made in Hollywood, Censored by Beijing, the U.S. film industry and Chinese government influence, calls for transparency around film censoring. It also recommended that Hollywood studios should insist that any version of a film adapted for the Chinese market does not become the default version issued for global release. Quote, filmmakers cannot reduce their work to the lowest common denominator of only content that is deemed acceptable by one of the world's most censorish regimes, the report stated. Such changes, the report concluded, quote, would be a powerful step shoring up Hollywood's commitment to freedom of expression in the face of growing dynamic of censorship and propagandistic government influence in China. Kate Erbland of IndieWire writes, After quietly removing its mysterious new thriller Antebellum from release calendar in July, Lionsgate has opted to release the Janelle Monet starring horror film on VOD. The film was previously set for an April release before being pushed to August 21st and later to an undetermined date as the pandemic continued to impact an ever-changing theatrical release calendar. The film will now hit premium VOD on Friday, September 18th, where it will be available on most VOD platforms for $19.99 per rental. The film will be released theatrically in select international markets as well. Per the film's official synopsis, the film follows successful author Veronica, who finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. Anthony D'Alessandro of Deadline writes, Keanu Reeves is back in the back-to-back sequels game with John Wick 4 and 5, aiming to film consecutively next year. On a Lionsgate earnings call, the studio CEO John Feltheimer said, Quote, we're busy also preparing scripts for the next two installments of our John Wick action franchise, with John Wick 4 slated to hit theaters Memorial Day weekend of 2022. We hope to shoot both John Wick 4 and 5 back-to-back when Keanu becomes available early next year. The sequel, John Wick 4, is currently scheduled for May 27th, and John Wick has become such a big action franchise for Lionsgate, not just in its global franchise box office through three movies of... 584 million 
but there's also a Star's John Wick TV series, The Continental, which is looking to premiere sometime following the fourth movie. And that concludes your last week's news update. Hey, did you know that we have our own YouTube channel? There, we upload video reviews of the latest television shows or movies, and even some Let's Plays. Lately, we have been focused heavily on our curated horror content. But we have a goal to get to 100 subscribers by the end of the year, and it would mean everything to the team to reach our goal. Simply search The Borough Reviews on YouTube and make sure to subscribe and ring the bell if you enjoy the content. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. Okay, y'all, let's talk now about Mulan's move to Disney Plus and how it changes the entertainment industry forever. Um, you know, five months ago, uh, I didn't think that really any of this was possible, um, going back to just the early days of this pandemic, because honestly, I didn't know how long it was going to last, and I'm sure that we all thought it was going to be over by July. But then, you know, the theaters haven't been able to open back up. And in some cases, specifically in California um, and other states, they've been shut down again after reopening. Um, and so who knows how long this is going to go on for. You know, every every state is handling things a little bit differently, and that kind of makes it hard in terms of tracking just what COVID-19 is going to do. And so a lot of the production companies have decided to basically offshore their movies to VOD, you know, premium VOD for, um, you know, 20 bucks. Uh, you can sit down and you can watch The Invisible Man or you can watch The King of Staten Island. Um, and now the latest news is that Mulan is moving to premium VOD, kind of, not really. Um, Disney has decided to put Mulan out on their own streaming service. So not only do you have the initial paywall of Disney Plus, um, and, you know, there is a requirement in order to watch Mulan that you must be a Disney Plus member, but you also have a $30 charge on the back end of that as well. So essentially you're paying about $38 to see Mulan. For people that have already, you know, subscribed to Disney Plus, um, there's more of an incentive for them to do that. But families who don't have Disney Plus, I personally don't think are actually going to be able to spend nearly $40 to watch Milan, especially if you know, they've already seen Milan, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the parents, a lot of the adults have. Um, so it's not really important for them. And why not just show your kids, you know, the animated movie, um, from Disney. So I understand kind of where the backlash is coming. Uh, and Bob Chapik, you know, he talks a big game about how this isn't going to become the norm, but do we really think that he's not testing the water for future releases, especially with how uncertain times uh, we're living in, um, just how much uncertainty there is surrounding distribution across the board. You know, uh, even internationally, there are still some places that are struggling with reopening. So it's hard telling how this is actually going to impact the the market. But I will tell you this, that they are not looking at this as a one-time uh, deal shifting um, from uh, theatrical distribution to uh, streamium or streamium to um, you know premium VOD to streaming on their own platforms. Uh, I don't think that this is going to be something that just occurs one time, especially if they're successful 
in the process of moving more of their titles over to Disney Plus. Um, you know, Mulan makes a lot of money on Disney Plus, and uh, they're getting, by the way, as the article states here in The Verge, they're getting 100% of those, uh, 100% of the proceeds, you know, for, for all of that. All of their profit off of Mulan is going directly to them. You know, they're, they're cutting out the middleman of the theater chains. And uh, that's especially important for the second topic that we're going to get into here. Um, but first, before we get into the Paramount Decrees, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, if other studios are looking to do this in the future. Uh, I would say yes and no. Disney is in a unique situation where they have their own streaming platform, Disney Plus, and they can offload some of their titles onto Disney Plus itself. And that gives them a more unique situation than I would I would assume other studios. For instance, you have someone like, um, you know, we obviously can't use 20th Century Studios now as they're owned by Disney. Uh, but take, for instance, any other, you know, studio, A24, whatever you want to label, you know, fill in the blank. X, X Studio, um, they don't all have their own streaming platforms. And so they're going to have to ship them to, you know, Google Play, they're going to have to ship them to Amazon Prime, they're going to have to offload all of those titles if they want to follow the same pattern that Disney is doing um, onto platforms that they don't own and they don't control. So they're not going to get 100% of the profits from offloading their titles as Disney is going to get from Mulan. And that kind of creates an even more unique situation. And so for some of those studios that don't have that option, I feel like we're it's going to be less likely that we see them do this often, even though, you know, charging $20 for a movie rental uh, has done them good. They've still made less money than they would if they opened their movies, you know, in theaters. But I imagine for for some for some movies, for some films, uh, it's going to be well worth it to put it on uh, Google Play or uh, you know Amazon Prime. Um, and like I said, this gets into our second topic a little bit. Uh, it's interesting. We'll see what happens with Mulan and how much money it makes. I'm really curious to know how well it does for him. Um, but I am assuming right now that it's probably going to go pretty well for him just because a lot of people are curious and who knows when we're going to be able to set our butts back down in the theater again. So I'll keep you updated on the profits for, for Milan as we move forward. But let's talk about the Paramount Decrees and the termination of them. So this is this is humongous, and we've been kind of covering this for the past few months uh, as it was very uncertain what would happen with the Paramount Decrees. Um, but now a federal judge has given the green light for the Justice Department to strike them down. Uh, you know, the Paramount Decrees were started in the 40s, um, basically to kind of um, remove the monopoly that the distributors, that the production companies had on the distribution of their movies to create more of a market um, of, of, you know, profit for different companies. They wanted to basically take out like I said, the monopoly of the situation um, and to open up the market for other people and other businesses to make more money and to compete. And so when the Justice Department strikes this paramount consent decree um, and it basically eradicates them, uh, you're basically leaving a path, creating a situation in which theoretically, I don't know how fast this would happen, but theoretically, 
Disney could start, um, you know, releasing movies in their own theaters and making, again, 100% of the profit. Uh, and this is problematic f- for a lot of reasons. For one, a lot of the theater companies, AMC, Regal, Cinemark, um, Alamo Drafthouse, are struggling through this this coronavirus pandemic. And so a lot of them have significant revenue losses, and many of of the companies are actually, you know, toggling with the idea of selling, selling themselves to some of the other bigger tech companies and stuff. For instance, we had um, just a couple months ago, actually uh, a deal where basically AMC didn't know if they were going to be able to make it out of the pandemic without filing for bankruptcy. And um, Amazon was reportedly stepping in to buy them. Um, And this creates a situation where then if, let's say, Amazon were to actually obtain AMC, uh, smart branding move, by the way, with the A's and all, but if they were actually able to uh, obtain AMC and and buy the rights to, you know, AMC theaters and the company as a whole, if they were able to buy out AMC, could you imagine Amazon making their own movies, which they do? for Amazon Prime. But could you imagine them then releasing all of their products in their own theater chain and making 100% of the profits? And Amazon's already a huge company. I mean, Amazon's the biggest company around, uh, about as big as you can get. And it just goes to show you that this unilateral notion of companies, you know, buying everything. We've seen it recently with Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Studios, formerly 20th Century Fox. Um, we've seen all these acquisitions, acquisitions, um, I can't say that word apparently, but all the acquisitions have been, um, definitely a game changer. Uh, and this kind of unilateral notion of, you know, different companies and uh, production companies being able to take a bigger share of the profits out of the distribution market uh, is problematic for many reasons. Um, And this Paramount uh, decree that was created, uh, as the article stated, 71 years ago, um, kind of did a numerous kind of did numerous things, right? Under the plan to terminate the decrees, restrictions on block booking and circuit dealing will remain in place over a two-year sunset period, um, even after the decrees have been striked down and terminated by the Justice Department. Um, What this did, so basically, um, (laughs) theaters had to basically theaters would buy packages of movies in one license, and then they would have to you know, play all of these movies. And, um, it's kind of predatory if you think about it, just for the simple fact of, um, there being specific specifications on what you can and cannot release. And as someone who's worked in the theater industry, I can tell you that the company is already hardline about a lot of this stuff about, um, you know, I remember when I worked at theater getting memos from some of the the PR reps from different companies, specifically Disney, uh, um, they didn't really treat their, uh, theater owners kindly. Um, but I remember getting a bunch of memos and reading a bunch of memos about certain, certain things that the company was trying to promote or do with their films and their releases. 
And you would actually have the, you know, the company reps calling you up, making sure that you were staying in line with a lot of these different things. Um, and I could only imagine how strict it would become if Disney was not only producing, but also distributing their own movies that way. Uh, it would be kind of chaotic. Um, there'd really be no room for the free market and, um, freedom of expression in that way. And again, you know, that kind of leads into the next story about Hollywood, Hollywood's, you know, censorship, um, for the Chinese market and how that's impacting the whole entire industry. Uh, it all flows together. And, um, yeah, this was a huge report compiled, um, to, uh, the Hollywood censorship by PEN. Um, and I just want to read a little bit more of, of what is kind of going on with that. Uh, so the report said studios were self-censoring to ensure favorable treatment from the Chinese government, which could in turn lead to better release dates and preferential advertising, advertising arrangements because China is such a big market for movies. Um, basically we have seen, you know, TV shows, uh, even, uh, video games to a certain extent, uh, we've seen them kind of censor themselves so that they could, you know, still make a lot of money in the markets. But could you imagine a situation in which a movie was expecting to make X amount of dollars, um, you know, and China, let's remember too, is the second biggest market for for films, for film distribution, for theaters, uh, a lot of revenue is made in China, and um, you know a lot of it goes to kind of the bigger titles like your Avengers, like your uh, uh, you know Fast and Furious, uh, things like that. James Bond hasn't really taken off uh, in China like it has here in the U.S. Um, but the report basically is compiling all of these different standards uh, that films now have to kind of work around when, you know, distributing their film in China. And could you imagine, like, making a movie? Like, you're, you're a studio exec, you're making a movie, and because your film did this one thing, maybe even a couple of things, you're going to miss out on the money that, like, the Avengers made, you know? Um, with Endgame making $614 million in China alone, could you imagine, like, if Endgame had expanded on... Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie and, and her queerness and uh, having that be a consistent storyline throughout the entirety of Avengers Endgame and China stepping in and saying, well, we don't like that. And, you know, and then the studio is having to battle with the filmmakers, the actual director, the producers, um, all of that over the content of the film and what's in the film. So it's not only creating tension within the actual uh, film industry, but it's also creating tension internationally and between countries. And it's a lot bigger than most people would think. Um, but then in that situation, you know, where Disney, well, they're, they're kind of doing it with Thor 11 Thunder. And so I'm interested to see what happens with that movie and how far they take things. Um, but could you imagine China then stepping in to that movie and saying, actually, we don't want you to release this film in China. We're, we're not going to allow it in the Chinese market. They just lost anywhere from probably 200 to 600 million dollars right there. I mean, that's easily covering your budget for that movie, uh, minus the marketing budget and all of that. But it's tremendous. And, um, yeah, I just, I can't imagine a world where 
not only do you have unilateral decisions from these film companies, these production companies, these giant megatropolis kind of fantasy islands of of film companies uh, like Disney who, who make millions and millions upon millions of dollars and billions of dollars every year. Uh, could you imagine them taking over more of the market through theater distributions? And then also add in that element of um, the censorship that would occur in our, in our films. And Disney owns a lot of properties. So I'm just, in my head, it's kind of fear-mongering, but I'm imagining a situation in which Disney owns the rights to numerous properties, properties that aren't going to see the light of day because they, you know, have control over them, such as Alien or Predator or any of the 20th Century Studios properties. Could you imagine them basically being being in charge of all of that, being in charge of production on films, being in charge of content, being in charge of censorship, just so they can get bigger and bigger and earn more and more? Um, because I can because at the end of the day, the bottom line is these companies are for profit and we have to understand that. So we're not always going to be doing the right thing if if we're a huge company and we can make sure that we're increasing profit from year to year um, and month to month in Disney's case, honestly. Uh, but could you imagine a situation in which not only Disney was doing that, but the other studios were doing that as well? And uh that's a huge issue, and it all kind of flows together, which is why I wanted to talk about it. I'm not the most articulated on all of this stuff in, in um, you know, kind of sifting through my thoughts and explaining it verbally, but I I think about the Chinese censorship a lot. The Paramount Decrees, I kind of honestly forgot about until this article came out. Um, I mean, I knew it was happening behind the scenes, but the Paramount Decrees um, are, uh, you know necessary in my opinion for the market the the film industry and as a whole uh just to make sure that we're still competing and we're still presenting new ideas and you know new opportunities at every turn that we can possibly have because the whole point is to have a bunch of different companies doing a bunch of different things right um you can look at the video game industry with you know I mean, I know that PS4 Monopoly or PS4 and Xbox basically have Monopoly on the video game industry, but there's a lot of PC players too. And could you imagine a situation in which everything was unilateral? So as where the Xbox has, you know, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate or whatever it is, where you get xCloud and you get every every game that is put on Xbox uh, Xbox's Game Pass. Uh, they're innovating in that market, in the xCloud market, in the video games as a service market, as where PS5 is really taking hold of the single player experience. And you have those two competing ideologies. And, um, you know, I just can't imagine a world in where that's all unilateral and all anyone's doing is competing with each other, censoring each other distributing their films, uh, basically effectively killing the theater industry as we know it, um, a lot of people would be out of jobs if that were to happen. And unfortunately, this pandemic has only ensured uh, more of a possibility of that occurring sometime in the near future. So this is all happening at once, and it's something that we should keep our eye on, both the Hollywood censors for China 
um, the Paramount consent decrees. It's huge. I would definitely encourage you to go look at the deadline article. Um, and the, Na- the National Association of Theater Owners warned of ending the decrees and the impact it would have on consolidation of the, the exhibition business. Um, and so NATO, you know, the, <laughs> the North American theaters owners, um, theater owners uh, want to make sure that that we're still competing in the exhibition markets, uh, the independent theaters, you know, um, if they were to, you know, unilaterally push through, um, some type of, some type of legislation, basically ensuring that they could be bought by the studios and that they could, um, then become, you know, just merge into that studio itself. Uh, I, it's scary. And, um, the independent theaters are worried about it. The bigger theater chains are worried about it. Um, but unfortunately, you know, for some in this pandemic, uh, it's looking like a nice meaty, juicy option. So, um, there's that. And I want to move on now to something a little less heavy because all of that is super intense and super heavy. Uh, Annabellum, let's talk about Annabellum. We knew once Lionsgate started moving around the release date of Annabellum that they would probably most likely just push it to, uh, you know, premium um, video on demand services. And uh, lo and behold, they have, Um, which isn't a bad move. Again, you know, right now, this is what they have to do to kind of maintain somewhat of a release schedule. Otherwise, uh, things are just going to keep getting pushed back and they're already pushed back Uh, at this point by months, and in some cases, even years, things have been pushed back. Um, production has been halted. Uh, no one's really working on anything. And um, as the pandemic goes on, it's only getting um, more dire for a lot of these companies and a lot of these films, uh, because most of them are going to lose a hefty amount of revenue. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Um, so it's kind of at a standstill. But I do think that releasing your film on video on demand, if it's done, if you've already, you know, pushed the release date back several times and, you know, as you as a company like Lionsgate probably wants to make some money, even though, uh, it might not make as much money as it would, you know, pre coronavirus. And so they're going to make some back money, make some back money, uh, make some money back from releasing it on PVOD. And uh, I really hope that, you know, if other companies um, are in dire need of some cash, some profit, that they start, you know, looking at releasing their movies on video services in the near future. A lot of them have, um, but a lot of them are also holding back on bigger titles. Um, New Mutants is still apparently heading for their August release date. I don't know how that's going to work, um, but a lot of the other you know, studios, for instance, you know, Blumhouse has pushed Halloween kills, uh, back a whole entire year. Um, and a lot of the other companies are doing that with their bigger money-making titles, which is understandable. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know, curious to know, like what else releases on video services in the next month or two? Cause I don't think we're going to be done with this thing until the end of the year, unfortunately, with how everything's going. But uh, we get, we're getting uh, John Wick 5, and we're getting John Wick 4 um, that will be shot back-to-back as well. Uh, I'm really excited for both of those films. Um, a lot of people thought the third one was going to be 
the last in the trilogy and it made so much money and it was so highly praised that they that you know Lionsgate decided to to keep on going with it um which is completely acceptable in my opinion you know um why you know why fix it if it ain't broke and uh we'll see how the continental does it's the tv show which is going to premiere i think on stars uh sometime around the release of the fourth film that's been in development for a couple of years now uh i'm really excited to see what they do with the continental of course um i you know depending on which is released first if it's released you know before or after john wick 4 we'll see like where the excitement level is for john wick after everything with covid19 is passed um but until then we're not going to really know how much money how much they're willing to spend on these um because you know current projections basically have the box office suffering all the way through 2022 uh so who knows how much excitement is going to be in these properties and I have a feeling that, um, you know, they're they're not going to be quick to announce any production details on the Continental until this whole thing blows over. But in their interest, it might be a good idea to put out the Continental before John Wick 4, gauge interest a little bit, and then they can determine a better, like, release date for the movie itself. Uh, I'm kind of hoping that's the approach that they're taking, but we'll see. Um, Keanu Reeves is currently shooting for Matrix 4 for Warner Brothers. Um and, you know, I guess, they, you know, they're um, having production issues as well because they were right in the middle of shooting when everything was shut down. So they've got to finish that movie before they can really move on to John Wick 4 and John Wick 5 because I don't think Keanu Reeves is going to have a huge hand in the Continental TV show. Uh, I think it'll mainly just be cameos here and there, but uh, we'll see. And uh, as far as, like, the news discussion goes, I know it was quite heavy with the Paramount Decrees. Um, you know, quite heavy with, uh, China's censorship of, you know, Hollywood and it's not direct censor. Well, okay. It is direct censorship. Um, but you know, the American studios really have a choice here, whether or not they want to appease those markets, uh, as Disney is doing, or if they want to challenge the markets. Um, you know, the article also lays out, um, once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, which was pulled from China's movie release schedule only a week before the film was slated to be released within the country. Um, so you have some filmmakers, some studios kind of pushing back on that censorship and just taking the hit. Um, it's a rocky situation. And I realize that for some, uh, you know, they're going to have to appease the censors just to survive as a company, uh, which is unfortunate. Now, don't think I would let you off that easy without at least one more ad read. The good news, though, I'm simply trying to tell you about our website, theburrreviews.com. We have plenty of articles and reviews for you to read as you ponder your existence during these trying times. Like indie movies? How about blockbusters? The good news is we cover all types of film, but we especially love a good horror movie. So, if you're a Nebraska local looking for a review of your latest project, we got you. Simply search theburrreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. If you have a short or feature film you'd like for us to review, and you aren't a Nebraska filmmaker, we'll still cover your film at no charge. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines on the page. Now, not every submission will be accepted, but it is always worth a shot. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Borough Reviews. Your Movie Refuge. And once again... Let's get into what was streaming this past weekend. 
Um, so for one, we had American Pickle on HBO Max. Uh, American Pickle is the first original film for HBO Max. It stars Seth Rogen as a Jewish immigrant who becomes pickled alive at a pickle factory only to be perfectly preserved for 100 years and wake up in modern-day New York. He then finds that his only living family is his great-grandson, also played by Seth Rogen. Um, <laughs> so it sounds kind of fun. I haven't actually checked it out, but when I watched the trailer for it, and when it was first announced, I was totally on board for it. So you have that streaming on HBO Max. Um, something that we also have, we have Howard on Disney+. Plus. Um, if you're a fan of the songs in Disney's The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin, you're a fan of the songwriter Howard Ashman, who died in 1991 of complications from AIDS at the age of 40. Um, Howard, the film releasing on Disney+, Plus, documents his life and career. Um, I knew very little about this going into um, this article here from PC Mag, but honestly, like... Uh, it might be something that I check out just because I love a good documentary. And when you're detailing something, you know, as nostalgic as the music from The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, or Aladdin, you kind of got me. And obviously it's a little layered because you're also dealing with his death from AIDS. Um, so there's multiple layers to that, and I kind of want to check it out. So I think I'm going to. Um, we also have Alfred Hitchcock films on Peacock. Uh, we have Vertigo, Rear Window, Psycho, and The Birds. Um, yeah, Peacock debuted last month, and many classic films are available to watch for free with ads. Uh, you can stream, like, all of, all of the Hitchcock films that I previously listed on Peacock. Seems like a pretty good deal. Um, so, you know, honestly, I might watch the birds because it's been a while since i've watched the birds i've watched psycho so much recently but the birds is something that i definitely haven't seen in a long time or vertigo for that matter but rear windows always talked about and always discussed so um you know that's something that i'm always used to hearing about um so i probably won't watch that but if you haven't watched rear window definitely check out rear window and then on hulu we have slay the dragon um, gerrymandering, the practice of resetting electoral districts to favor political interest is a huge problem in the United States. Slay the Dragon falls various groups and activists fighting to end the practice. One group already fixed the issue in Michigan. Um, so Slay the Dragon kind of documents the fight uh, against gerrymandering, which surprisingly a lot of Republicans are also, um, you know, against. Uh, so it's kind of on a, on a, on a, on a, base level it's definitely a bipartisan issue that can be tackled it's just you have some people defending it um, because it's an easy political tactic to regain election and to hold your political power um so uh slay the dragon on hulu check it out and then on netflix we have the sedley this and then on netflix we have the seven deadly sins um which uh, I've never actually watched, but it's one of Netflix's first original anime production, uh, and it's returning for season four. The titular group has been scattered in their fight against the Ten Commandments and must now reunite to take on an enemy that just doesn't know how to stay down. Also on Hulu and Amazon Video, The Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, a young man with Down syndrome escapes from an assisted living facility to become a professional wrestler. Along his journey, he forms a strong bond with a fisherman, played by Shia LaBeouf, while his social worker chases after him. Watch The Peanut Butter Falcon on Amazon Video and Hulu. 
Um, also on Amazon Video, we have The Fight. Produced by Kerry Washington, The Fight chronicles the ACLU's work during the Trump administration to protect abortion rights, immigration rights, LGBTQ rights, and voting rights. Um, so a lot of p- political releases this weekend, which I'm kind of happy to see. Um, and honestly, you know, uh, those aren't right now are, are what's interesting me the most. Um, you know, this coronavirus has had kind of the opposite impact on me as where a lot of people are looking for that escapism, their escapism, they're looking for that sense of just enchantment and pure entertainment. I've kind of turned the other way. I want to learn more. I want to learn more about some of the things that are occurring within America, but also internationally and kind of how the dynamics are shifting back and forth. Um, and, you know, kind of what's going on in the real world and, and what I can do to educate myself and to educate others and to move towards fixing those problems. So the fight and, uh, slay the dragon are looking mighty fine for me this weekend. Um, and uh into next week so with all that being said i think now um i don't have anything else to kind of talk about or review this week uh i will watch the host at some point during this next week and then hopefully have linda on next weekend to discuss the host with me and to discuss every news story that we can possibly jam into this uh hour-long show or round hour because honestly, it hasn't been an hour long for a very long time. But, uh, you know, I, I imagine with Linda here, it'll probably jump up over an hour. But we're going to try and jam-pack as many news stories into next week as we possibly can. We're going to discuss them. And then we're also going to review the host. Um, again, I apologize for my terrible, terrible allergies that have caused me um, a little bit of distress here on this episode, but uh, hopefully you still enjoyed it. And um, I'm looking forward to weekly podcasts where my voice isn't awful and I can actually breathe through my nose. That'll be exciting. Um, but I'm looking forward to that in the near future. And again, I'll keep you updated as to when Den of Night releases on our Patreon and, um, you know, make sure you're following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of it. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Borough Reviews, on Twitter at Borough Reviews, um, on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Borough Reviews. Um, we're even on Stardust at Borough Reviews. So if you have a Stardust app um, and you like those quick, snappy 30-second reactions, we just posted a couple in the past week, uh, so you can catch up on those. Um, but otherwise, I hope you all are staying healthy and well, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.